Ladies and gentlemen, turn with me to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. Now, most of you are familiar with Daniel chapter 2, so I won't have to go into a lot of explanation about every single verse. So I will cut through some of the verses to get cut to the quick to get some into the main things I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about the inability of the wise men and the magicians to interpret the dream. I want to talk to you about the foundation of heathen religion. And I want to talk to you about four kingdoms. And I want to talk about that the rock that will smite the image at his feet of iron and clay. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. And verse 2 says, Then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the what everybody? Sorcerers and the Chaldees for to show the king his what? Dream. So they came and stood before the king. Now I want to say something to you first of all. Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled to know the dream. But before we go into it, I want to ask a question. Who is Nebuchadnezzar? Huh? What text you got? Come on now, I know it's a simple thing, but what text do you have? You've been sitting in Bible interpretation and how to study the Bible all week long. Surely, if I ask you who is Nebuchadnezzar, you ought to say Nebuchadnezzar is king of Babylon based on such and such a chapter. Huh? Daniel 1.1, okay. Also, is that the only place we find Nebuchadnezzar? In 2 Kings 24.1, 24.1, he's called Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. In 2 Kings 25.1, he is Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. In Jeremiah 43.10, it says, take Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant. Nebuchadnezzar is even called God's servant before he's converted. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so, who made Nebuchadnezzar king? Huh? Say, God, how do you know? How do you know? Turn with me to Daniel 2, 21. Remember this text, this famous line of Daniel, one that echoes throughout the centuries and ages of earth's history when coming down to kingdoms. Daniel said in Daniel 2, 21, he changeth times and seasons. He removeth up kings. He removeth kings and what, everybody? Setteth up kings. And in Daniel 4, 25, Nebuchadnezzar got beyond beside himself. The Bible says, Till thou knowest that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and give it to whomsoever he will. Again, the Bible shows that God is in control of kingdoms. God set up kings, and God removeth kings. All things are put in play and counterplay by God. It was Ezekiel who saw a wheel in the midst of a wheel, and God showed him that when the midst of that wheel, the hand of God controlled the rise and fall of nations and empires. Nothing comes into this world without God's acknowledgement and notice. And nothing leaves this world without God's knowledge and notice. Nothing stands on its own. It only stands as they are true to God. But when they fall away from God, their kingdoms crumble and their nations go to dust. The word of God is clear tonight. That God is in control. In Psalms 50, 16, the Bible said the Lord is king forever. 
In Psalms 47, 7, the Bible said, For God is king over all the earth. Sing praises unto the king. But now, Nebuchadnezzar was king of what, everybody? Babylon. What did Nebuchadnezzar's name meant? You know, we read in the Bible, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar's name from the heathen religions of Babylon meant Nabu protects. Now, who in the world is Nabu? Why does God use his names like Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar's name meant Nabu protects. Nabu was the god, was one of the gods of wisdom of the Babylonians. In order for you to be king of Babylon, you had to go through the esoteric scientists of a mystery occult religion. You were initiated into the secret mysteries. When you had reached the top of your level in their educational system, you would be like Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was king because, number one, there was nobody that is supposed to have more wisdom than Nebuchadnezzar. Because he's he has sat in the initiation of the gods, in the esoteric sciences of a cult. He has dabbled with spiritualism. He understands how to read so-called the mysteries. And so for one to stand as Nabu, under Nabu, Meaning Nabal protects Nebuchadnezzar sat in the very gates of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar's name meant also bridge builder. Meaning that as he conquered a nation, as Nebuchadnezzar conquered a nation, Nebuchadnezzar would build a bridge of his esoteric religion of Babylonian worship and change the religion of the people who he conquered and bring them and build a bridge where they cross over into Babylonian mystery religion. This is the king Nebuchadnezzar. So now the king is having a dream. Now he cannot seem to interpret his dream. Now his sleep breaks from him. A horrible, a horrifying nightmare wakes him up out of his dream. I want you to take a look at what Nebuchadnezzar was about. Let's take a look now. In verse 2, the Bible says, Didn't the king command it to call in the what, everybody? The magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldees to show the king his dream. So they came and did what, everybody? Stood before the king. Now let me ask you a question. I want you to know that God is introducing you to the religion of ancient Babylon. God is giving you this introduction so that you can clearly understand what constitutes Babylon. Today, there are groups that say the church is Babylon. But my brothers and sisters, there may be people who are practicing idolatry in our midst. There may be people who are coming up with strange philosophies and teachings. But one thing is certain, the Seventh-day Adventist church, even in its worst frame of mind right now, is not Babylon. Daniel 2 gives the origin of Babylon. And Babylon's foundation is the foundation of magicians, the foundation of astrology, the foundation of sorcery. These foundations are spiritualism. And when you say that the Seventh Adventist Church is Babylon because you see some people practicing Babylonian techniques in the church, you are saying that the church is spiritualism. And that means we're all a cult. And that means we have the world was right and Walter Martin was right when he said the Seventh-day Adventist Church is an occult. Do you understand what I'm telling you? That means we all have been deceived. And that is not the case. 
when we study the foundation of what Babylon is. Look what the Bible says. The Bible says he had magicians and astrologers, am I right? I want you to take a look at this now. Magicians were those who, are, who dealt with horoscopes and magical lines, for instance. Uh, they were also, they're meaning also scribes as well. They dealt with hieroglyphics, the Egyptian hieroglyphics, by the way. They were called sages. They practiced occult sorcery and incantations. Talking about Babylon now. And also, the magicians also are sorcerers and wizards. I want to know, I want you to know that sorcerers and magicians are closely related in the sense that there are persons who perform magic for entertainment. The practice of using charms, spells, or rituals to produce supernatural effect to control events in nature. This was the religion of Babylon. This is the magicians. And then it says astrologers, one who professes to interpret the interpret and supposedly determine and influence the people, men's lives by the stars. I want you to know that Babylon, that the astrologer was also fortune tellers and those who watch the position of the stars and tell you that this is why you're Sagittarius and this is why you're Aquarius and you're a Virgo and this is why because the positioning of this star shows that you're going to have some trouble in your life and every day is in the newspapers. Every day is at the newsstand. False prophets standing up using the stars to determine the future of the world. In Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, the Lord said, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am the Lord and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times of things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I shall do all my good pleasure. God says his counsel will stand. Man's counsel is going to crumble. A false prophet's counsel is going to crumble. And false, and these astrologers and all these magicians and all these so-called spiritualists, their counsels are soon to come to naught. But the word of God and the prophecies that God has declared will stand forever. Isaiah 40 verse 8 said, The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. The Bible makes it very clear. So we need to understand that better than we do have done. And not only that, but the Bible says he called in the magicians, the astrologers, the soothsayers. I want to say something else about this thing. Why is God Hang, why are we hanging on Daniel 2.2? Because Daniel 2.2 is to be repeated with spiritual Babylon. And you need to know what, that, what Babylon believed. You see, Babylon, listen to this very carefully. I want to talk about one aspect. In all pagan philosophies, the doctrine of immortality of the soul was the foundation, the center of the whole pagan worship. What does Babylon have in it according to Great Controversy? The doctrine of immortality of the soul and Sunday sacredness. Remember that? Remember when Ellen White wrote that in Great Controversy? You remember that? So wait a minute now. Before we even, even deal with Ellen White, the Bible is teaching that the Babylon's two main doctrines is that of immortality of the soul and Sunday sacredness. Question, does the Seventh-day Adventist teach immortality of the soul? Question, does the Seventh-day Adventist church teach I'm talking about teach as doctrine, Sunday sacredness. No. So is the Seventh-day Adventist Church, Babylon. No. Look what the Bible says carefully. Now, in all pagan philosophies, the doctrine of immortality of soul was the foundation and the center of all the whole pagan belief. Pagans believed, now listen to this carefully, pagans believed that when they did 
when they die, like Nimrod, their bodies or their spirit, they say, their spirit uh, lived on and went in, that was inside them lived on and had a was a divine spark and took possession of one of the stars in the galaxy. The ancient Babylonians taught the fate of every human being was dependent on the sky and the movement of celestial bodies. Babylon taught and believed that each mortal was like a god and had his own star in the sky. In Babylon, astrological systems, all gods of heaven, meaning the stars, were considered the offspring and emanations, and emanations are something that come from a source of the sun god. What do you see as the foundation of Babylon now in Nebuchadnezzar's time? Immortality of the soul. And what else? Sunday sacredness. They could not have the one without the other. And so the magicians and astrologers and all the rest are talking about the gods whose dwellers not with flesh because they believe that the gods were the spirits of the dead that were moved, were up in the stars. And they had their source from the sun god. So the worship of the sun and the heathen rituals were all through Babylon. Is it any wonder today that the papacy preaches and teaches immortality of the soul and Sunday sacredness? The word of God is clear on this issue. Look at here carefully now. In Jeremiah 10.2, turn with me there. In Jeremiah 10.2, you got to move with me now. We move, we're going to move kind of fast, but I'm sorry. I'm going to try to keep it a little slow. And I hope that if everything is clear, we can get it on tape, okay? In Jeremiah 10.2, the Bible said, Thus said the Lord, learn not the way of what, everybody? The heathen. And be not dismayed at the signs of heaven. For hearken, it says, for the heathens are dismayed at them. What did God say? Learn not the way of what, everybody? The heathen. It is true. We are not to follow the ways of the heathens. And what is the foundation of all heathen worship? Immortality of the soul. And what else? Sunday sacredness. We are not to follow the ways of the heathen. Are you with me? Turn with me to Isaiah 47, 12, and 13. Look what God says concerning the astrologers and pronosticators and people of this sort. In Isaiah 47, 12, and 13, the Bible said, Let now the astrologers and the stargazers, the monthly pronosticators, stand up and save thee from the thing that shall come upon thee. For when God declares something, he says it's going to come to pass. You can call on your pronosticators if you like. You can call on your astrologers if you want to. You can beat, you can go and confer with the stargazers, but they won't save you from the seven last plagues that's coming. They won't save you from the destruction that God said will come upon the earth. I am God and there is none else. That's what the Bible makes clear. In Deuteronomy 18, 12 through 10 through 12, turn with me there. Look what the Lord said about Israel and those who were in Israel who got off into divination. The Bible says it right here in Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 12. It says that one, it should not be found among you, one that what? Passes through the what, everybody? Fire. Fire. Or what else? Or uses what? Divination. Or an observer of times. Or what? An enchanter. Or a what, everybody? A witch. Or a charmer. Or a consulter with familiar spirits. Or a wizard. Or a necromancer. For all these are an abomination unto me. Now, wait a minute. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 17 for just a moment. 17.4. I 
I just want you to look at this for just for a moment. I just want to show you a type. Daniel 2 was giving you a type of spiritual Babylon. In Revelation 17, 4, are you there? Uh, if you're not there yet, we need to have Bible instruction in turning. All right? Are you with me now? Revelation 17, 4, the Bible says, and watch this now, and the woman was arrayed in what, everybody? Purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls and having a golden cup in her hand full of what, everybody? The abominations and the what? Filthiness of earth. What did we just say in Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 12? The Lord said, all these are what, everybody? An abomination. So what is the Bible telling you about ancient Babylon that you can look for it and see in spiritual Babylon? Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, is none other than the Roman papacy. You know that, church and union of church and state later on, as we see. But what is it about this woman? What is it that she has? She's full of what, everybody? Abominations, everybody. What are these abominations that she's full of? She's full of astrology. She's full of necromancy. She full, she's full of immortality of the soul, and she's full of Sunday sacredness. You don't believe that? Tell me Ezekiel chapter 8. Turn with me there. I want to take you there first. Because the word abomination connects with idolatry, ladies and gentlemen. The word abomination means idolatry. And turn with me now to Ezekiel chapter 8. And we want to look at this subject that talks about the hole in the wall. Are you with me? Are you with me now? All right. Don't worry. We're not getting off of Daniel. I'm just giving you some information right now that you're going to need later on. In Ezekiel chapter 8, I want you to look at this one with me. I don't have time to go through the whole chapter, but look here at verse uh, 15. And then said he unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? And turn, yet, turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see what? Greater abominations. What? Greater abominations. What are abominations? Idolatry. What is abomination? A stink unto God's nose. Look what the Bible says is the greater stink unto God's nose. Are you with me now? And he brought me into the what? In a court of the Lord's house. And behold, the door of the temple of the Lord between the porch and the altar were about five and twenty men with their backs towards the temple of the Lord. And they worshiped what, everybody? They worshiped what? Now, come on. They worshiped towards east. What did they worship towards east? They worshiped the sun towards east. They worshiped what? The sun towards east. And what is the sun? Sun worship. And what is the heathen religion of Babylon? Necromancy, charmers, consulters. Ancient Babylon had it, and so does spiritual Babylon. And they lead the people into abominations. And so John in Revelation is only repeating what he saw. And he saw a woman, and he, she was arrayed in purple, and she was called Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of abominations. Spiritual Babylon will carry with them the idolatrous practices of heathen worship and carry with them that of immortality of the soul and carry with it also sun worship. Daniel 2 is telling you that ancient Babylon did it and so will spiritual Babylon in the last days. God is making it clear. And will spiritual Babylon understand the commandments of God? Remember the woman had on what, everybody? In Revelation 17, 4, what did she have on? Scarlet and purple. She had on purple, am I right? What two colors make up purple? Red and blue, am I right? So why does God say purple in Revelation chapter 17? If you turn with me to Isaiah 1, 18 and 19, the Bible talks about, first of all, let's look at the color red for a moment. Isaiah 1, 18 and 19, the Bible says, though your sins be as what, everybody? Scarlet, they, as what? 
did the woman have on scarlet? What is scarlet a symbol of now? Sin. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be whiter than snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as what? Wool. I want you to know right off the bat, the Bible shows that the woman of Revelation chapter 17, which represents spiritual Babylon, the mother of abundance of the earth, as, the, as our type is found in ancient Babylon, this woman is full of sin. And what is sin? The transgression of God's law. In 1 John 3, 4, the Bible says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth the law, for sin is the transgression of the what, everybody? Law. And then not only that, but the Bible says the originator of sin in 1 John 3, 8. Look there. You can write it down. 1 John 3, 8 says, he that committeth sin is of the devil. For he the devil sinneth what? From the beginning. Are you with me now? The devil sinneth where? So now those who can, ancient Babylon has religions that are against the commandments of God. Am I right? Which leads her to be what? Full of what? Scarlet, first of all. Am I right? Therefore, ancient Babylon is not only full of sin, but ancient Babylon is the teachings and practices of devils. Leading the people into sin. No salvation in sin. Therefore, there's no salvation in Roman Catholicism. Are you with me? Turn with me now to Numbers, Numbers chapter 38, verse 15. I want you to say, I said two colors make up purple. Look here now. What text did I say, everybody? Numbers 15, I think it's Numbers 1538, am I? I think it's 1538. Turn with me there. Everybody there yet? Even though I'm not there, you ought to be there. All right. In Numbers 1538, look what the Bible says. The Bible says right here, Speak unto the children of Israel. In verse 38 of chapter 15. And bid them that they make a fringe on the border of their garments. It says throughout their generations. That, and it says, and that they what, everybody? That they put upon the fringe of the borders a what? A ribbon of what, everybody? A ribbon of what? Blue. Now, what is the blue a symbol of? Look at this. Verse 39. It says, and it shall be unto you for a fringe that ye may look upon it and remember all the what, everybody? All the commandments of the what? Of the Lord. So the blue is a symbol of the commandments of God. Red was a symbol of sin. Blue and red combined make up purple. So what does the woman of Revelation 17 have? What does Mystery Babylon understand? She, and she has the commandments of God. She has thought to change times and laws. And because she changes that which God never altered from his lips, she is in sin she is a harlot and she is in violation of the commandments of God are you understanding me now look what the Bible says in verse 39 to show you what happened it says and that they seek not watch this now remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them that ye seek not after your own heart or your own eyes after which ye used to go what by her mixing the commandments of God and trying to change them and transgress them. She is called Mystery Babylon, the mother of Hollis, because she does things after her own eyes. She lifts up tradition over the word of God, and for this she has gone a whoring. And this is what the word of God declares. Now let's go on. The Bible also tells us something else about this issue. Now I want to read something to you from Patriots and Prophets, page 684. 
and Patriarch's prophets, page 684, I want to prove to you that the foundation of all heathen worship is what I told you earlier. Listen carefully. In Patriarchs and Prophets, page 684, Ellen White writes, nearly all forms of ancient spiritualism, ancient, ancient sorcery, and witchcraft were founded upon the belief in communication with the dead. <coughs> Do you hear that? Did you hear what I said? It says here, going on, this is found in a chapter called Ancient and Modern Sorcery. Those who practice the art of necromancy claim to have intercourse with departed spirits and obtain through them the knowledge of future events. This practice of consulting the dead is referred to in prophecy of Isaiah 18, 8, Isaiah 8, 19. Turn with me there. Isaiah 8, 19. You ought to be there. Come on, you ought to be, your mind ought to be quick. I'm not letting anybody go to sleep on me now. Isaiah 8, 19. This is the last meeting. Don't worry. And when they shall say unto you, seek unto them that what? Have familiar spirits and unto wizards that speak and what, everybody? Peep and what? Mutter, should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the what, everybody? To the dead, and look at verse 20, and to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it's because there is no light in them. So the Bible makes it very clear. The same belief in communion with the dead formed the cornerstone foundation of all heathen idolatry. The gods of the heathens were believed to be deified spirits of departed heroes. This religion of heathenism was a worship of the dead, and this is a worship of Babylon. God makes it very clear. I want to take you now to what Ellen White says. I read that statement to you. I want to read one more to you right off the bat. It is fondly supposed that the heathen superstitions have disappeared before the civilization of the 20th century. But the word of God in a stern testimony of facts declares that sorcery is the practice in this age as verily as in the days of the old-time magicians. It says the ancient system of magic, in reality, the same as what it is now known in modern spiritualism, Satan is finding access to thousands of minds by presenting himself under the guise of departed friends. Now, I'm teaching this particular thing to you today because not only is it taught in Roman Catholicism through purgatory, through your loved ones going to heaven and all the rest, but we are told that Seventh-day Adventists, as we get down to the end of time, will be visited by friends or loved ones and relatives claiming the most damnable heresies about God changing his law. We must have our minds fortified in this belief on what we believe on immortality of the soul and Sunday sacredness along with our other foundational doctrines. Let's go, let me just give you this one right quick as well. She also says here, it says here, do you, listen, listen to this carefully. We do not say that you have to follow the mysteries of necromancy or hold, or, hold, or hold communion with evil spirits, but are you not in communion with the author of all evil, with the divisor of all mysteries of hellish arts? Do you listen to suggestions of him? Who is the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air? Have you not submitted to his falsehoods or yield yourselves to be his agents to work in his work in harmony with him with your life before conversion? Have you not given yourselves up to be Satan's agents in the broadest sense? Are you not holding intercourse with fallen angels and learning lessons from them in the art of deceiving souls while you stay in sin? Every soul that's not fully submitted to Christ will be under the control of what? Another power. 
Uh, brothers and sisters, we have no time to dally with spiritualism. Look at Daniel 2.11 with me now, because you know the story about Daniel and how Nebuchadnezzar dreamed a dream, and, and he came in and told the dream, and he called Ariok, captain of the king's guards. But I want you to look at Daniel 2.11 with me now as we go through it. I'm going to cut through some of it now as we go. Now, look at here. The Bible says, and, it's a, and it, says, it says, and it's a rare thing that the king requires. It says here, listen carefully. And it's a rare thing that the king requires, and there is none other that can what? Show the king what? Be matter before the king except that gods whose dwelling is not with what? Flesh. The pagan gods do not dwell in flesh. But I thank God that we know about a God that did dwell with flesh. And that God, according to Colossians 1.27, says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. In John 15, Jesus says, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will. For without me ye can do nothing. And he says, you know him, talks about the Holy Spirit. You know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. The Bible shows that we have a God that not only came in the flesh, but even dwells with human flesh. Are you with me? That's why Ellen White says the secret of success is the union of divine power with human effort. Showing that humanity... And as we accept the plan of salvation, we are partakers of the divine nature. Divine nature is God's nature, showing that God can come and dwell in our flesh. Are you with me? Now, Daniel 2.14, turn with me there. Daniel 2.14. Then Daniel answered with what? Counsel and wisdom to Ariot, captain of the king's gods. Is that there? Yes, he answered with what, everybody? Counsel and wisdom. Daniel acts with tact and skill. But now let me ask you a question. As he asked for tech and skill, Daniel did something. What did he do? What did he do after he talked to Ariot? And Ariot made the thing known. What did he do? He went and had a what? Prayer meeting. Do you, talk, do you have a prayer meeting when things are going bad? Do you call up those who are spiritual minded to ask you to pray for them and pray for you as you are now dealing with personal problems? Do you fellowship enough where you can say, look, we need to pray about this thing, and I got this, and brother so-and-so's having problems, and sister so-and-so's having problems over here. Let's get together and pray. Maybe it's because your life is not threatened yet, right? Maybe because there's no king that told you your house will be a Dunhill, right? But I would say unto you that you should take time to pray. And you should take time, like Daniel, Meshach, Meshach, and Azariah, to pray not only about the decree, but notice they also prayed about the dream. Showing that you cannot get the clear interpretation of Scripture unless you're willing to spend time in communion with God. Because prayer is communion with God. The three Hebrew boys saw the necessity, not only because their life was threatened, but because God, they believed that God, by faith, would reveal to them the dream. And the Bible says, then the dream was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Have you prayed over the prophecies lately? Or have you just took everybody's word for it without searching one iota for yourself? Have you went back and dug up what we originally taught and believed on every single prophecy before you sit down and accept fanciful interpretations? Before you hear things like glorious holy mountain, before you hear things like this is America and that's the land and this is the land, when was the last time you went back and searched the scriptures for yourself? I believe Jesus said, 
John 5, 39, search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. When was the last time that you went back and said, I understand what this brother's saying here, I understand what they're saying here, but before you tell me anything else, I want to study to show myself approved unto God. Work many of not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. When was the last time you did it before you got in a heated argument, before you start having discontent with one another, before you start breaking apart and becoming like Saul and Barnabas for a minute. When was the last time you sat down and got with the Holy Ghost and began to fast and pray and say, Lord, teach me, show me, and take me. And if I'm in delusion, take me out of it because I came in for the truth and I want to stay established in the truth. Amen. When was the last time you did it that way? Sometimes silence is golden. Sometimes you gotta say, you gotta humble your heart and say, man, I don't know you yet, yet. And I don't, and I, you sound real good, but let me go back and study on my own. And maybe I can come back and talk with you later. I don't wanna hear all the influence. No, I don't need to meet with you right now. I need some time with the Holy Ghost. This is what we need now. Living some serious times and these things are going on. Now I just wanna just take, make it clear. I'm just saying it like it is because, you know, we got a lot of things flying around. And we should not have arguments over doctrinal differences. Them differences ought not be that wide if we're really studying the Bible. In fact, if we study the Bible like we should, we all should sooner or later come on one accord. Didn't you hear what Peter said? There's only one interpretation. He brought up this issue. He asked him, what is this? What is this? A pencil, am I right? What is it, everybody? A pencil. What is the foundation of this pencil? When you know the foundation of this pencil, where this pencil came from, how it was created, and everything else, and then somebody else said, no, that's an ink pen. What are you going to say? No, this is a pencil. And why are you going to say a pencil? Because you know the foundation of where that pencil comes from. You know how it was made. You know what it's used for, and you know the application. That can have many applications, but it's only one thing, a pencil. And let me tell you something. There's only one spirit of truth and one word of God. And when we start becoming divided in our teachings of prophecy, guess what's happening to us? We are becoming like the evangelical world. We're becoming a Babylon to ourselves in the midst of the truth. Confused and bewildered. Don't know what we believe anymore. Brothers and sisters, it's time to get on track and ask God to teach us these things and show us and spend some time praying and talking with God. If you got to beg, then beg because the word says, ask and it shall be given. Seeking you shall find. Knocking it shall be opened. Matthew 7, 7. But that word ask means to beg. Are you just on the service saying, Lord, teach me the prophecy in Jesus' name. Amen. Or are you getting down there pleading with God? Because while you're begging for God to give you an understanding, the Holy Ghost is going to start showing you your sins. While you're begging for God to give you an understanding, the Holy Ghost is going to show you your pride. While you're begging for God to give you an understanding, the Holy Ghost is going to show you your foolishness. While you're begging for God to give you an understanding, the Holy Ghost is going to show you how you're failing to measure up in your character development to that of Jesus Christ. And when you see, when the Holy Ghost begins to show you those things, it's because that's why you can't understand the prophecies. And the Holy Ghost is going to show you that only servants made free from sin is going to understand the prophecies. Now you say, oh, wait a minute now, Pastor. What are you talking about? Look right quick in Revelation chapter 1. John, the Bible says in Revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. Turn with me there. I'm sorry. I got to try to give you some time to turn. I know I'm going kind of fast because I got so much to cover. And I got a little time, and I know my uh, the God fellas are recording everything, and I hope that I can get it all on. All right. Here we go. You ready? The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. Who gave the revelation? God gave unto him to show unto us what, everybody? Servants. Let me ask you a question. 
Servants, it says. So some of you say you're a servant because you've been in the church for 20 years. Some of you say you're servants. I want you to know Daniel, Meshach, Shirach, and Abednego, and Ezra, they were all servants of God. But I want you to know that in studying prophecy, God doesn't want you to know names, dates, and figures only. God wants you to examine character. God wants you to understand the reason why Daniel had dreams and night visions. God wants you to understand why Meshach, Shirach, and Abednego could stand in a fiery furnace. Because it's not just a story. It's about character development. Romans 15, 4 says, For whatsoever things are written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. God wants you to understand the reason and see where you need to develop the same type of character. Now, what text did I just give you just now? And notice now it says, to show unto us what? Servants, things which shortly come to pass. Now I want to take you to one text about servants right quick. Turn me to Romans chapter 6. Come on. I want to show you why Daniel had night visions. I want to show you what makes us stand out. You're not a servant because you've been preaching for a long time. You're not a servant because you're an elder in the church. You're not a servant because you're a president or some secretary in the general conference. You're not a servant because you've been walking around and, 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 and going on in-gathering campaigns and all the rest. That doesn't make you a servant. All those are the results of serving in service. But you can be lost in service because you're not a servant. Are you with me? Turn with me now. Romans 6, 16, the Bible says, Know ye not to whom you yield yourselves what now? Servants to obey his servants. The first thing you got to do is what? Yield. Come on now, you with me now. The first thing a servant does is what? Yield. And then it says, servants to what? Obey whether what? Sin unto what? Death or obedience unto what, everybody? Righteousness. Wait a minute now. The first condition of a servant is that he must make a choice where he's going to what? Yield or what? Submit. There are even obedience unto what? Righteousness or, or sin unto what? Death. You got a choice. First of all, let me ask you a question. Look at the next verse. What does verse 17 say right quick? Come on, read it. Don't be afraid. For God what? <clears throat> Look what the Bible says in verse 17. The Bible says, but God be thanked that when ye were servants to what? Now notice were is past tense. When ye were servants to sin, showing that something took place. Something took place in your life. Did something ever take place in your life? Or are you just walking around floating? Or you just have a form of godliness? Did you ever experience, experience conversion? Did you ever experience a new life in Christ? I'm talking about being a servant now. I'm talking about why, you, how are you going to understand Daniel 2? How are you going to understand the books of Revelation? How are you going to understand prophecy? Look what the Bible said. It said the revelation will be given to the servants. And John is a type of the type of servant that's going to understand the prophecies in there clearly and won't be teaching nothing but the truth, so help them God. Look what the Bible says. The Bible says here, no, you know, it says here, verse 17, the Bible says, but God be thanked that ye were servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the what, everybody? The what? Heart, that former doctrine which was delivered unto you. Now look at verse 18. Now I want to show you the condition for being a servant. And if you really want to understand, you got to make up your mind tonight. Will you yield to God and be obedient to his will? Or will you yield to stay in sin? If you stay in sin, you will be confused one day. You will never understand the prophecies of God because you won't yield up your will that he might change your character. Look what the Bible says in verse 18. Be made free from sin, he became servants of what? Servants of what? What is righteousness? 
Come on now, righteousness. Peter told you, first of all, righteousness is kept by love, faith and love. Are you with me now? But then righteousness itself in Mount Psalms 119, 172, the Bible says, my tongue shall speak of thy word for all thy commandments are what? Righteousness. And that means if I'm going to be righteous, that means I'm going to be keeping the commandments of God. And when I keep the commandments of God by the grace of God, for Jeremiah 23, 6 says, he's the Lord, our what? Righteousness. And by his righteousness, in, five, in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, the Bible says, for he knew, it says, for he had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So it's not our righteousness, but it's his righteousness. And his righteousness has made us free from sin. And what is the end fruit of righteousness? Verse 22, look what the Bible says right quick. But now be made free from sin, ye became servants of God. Ye have your fruit unto what? Holiness and the end everlasting life. So, who's going to understand the book of Revelation now? Servants. What type of servants are these? Servants of righteousness who yield their will over to God completely and obey him. The love of God has filled their heart with the help of the Holy Ghost. Because Romans 5, 5 says the love of God is shed abroad on our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, when you got the Holy Spirit, if you love me, keep my commandments. Or synonym, keep my righteousness. Are you there? Turn back to Daniel 2 now. Now Daniel goes to the dream. He's met Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar now is sitting there in his chair with his two lions on each side. And he's standing there waiting to hear the interpretation of his dream. Wise men stand outside the courts trembling, fearing for their very lives, realizing they're nothing but frauds and fakes. And now Daniel walks in because he has blessed the God of heaven because God has given him wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And Daniel walks in. And Daniel begins to relate to king his dream. Now let's take a look at the dream right quick. Daniel 2. Daniel 2. And let's look now. Let's go on down the line here. And let's look here now. And let's start with verse 38. Excuse me. Verse uh, 36. This is the dream. I'm sorry. Not there. Daniel 2, 28. But there is a God in heaven. What does what everybody? That are villa secrets that make it known to King Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Now you're looking at Second Angel's message. You say, What? I say, Everybody's face, What? Daniel 1 shows you fear God. Daniel 2 talks about Babylon is fallen. Not only Babylon, but all the nations that live like Babylon until the day of Christ's return. If you compare Daniel and Revelation carefully, the whole book of Daniel and the whole book of Revelation, you see 1st, 2nd, 3rd, it's a message all the way through. When you study them rightly and you study them conjointly. Babylon is what? what is, is Babylon going to stand forever? Come on now, you know this. You know this term. No. So what's going to happen to Babylon? So what is Daniel saying? Babylon is going to what? So Nebuchadnezzar went to Babylon to stand for what? Ever. So what do you see Daniel declaring? Second angel's message. And what happened to at Babylon? Judgment hit her. Judgment on Babylon? Does God pronounce judgment on spiritual Babylon? Yes, he does. Time will not permit to go into it, but I just want to give you something to think about. You can go back and chew on it later. Look now. The Bible says right here, verse 38, it says, Make it known to King Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy visions and thy dream, thy visions upon of thy head, upon thy bed are these. 
For thee, O king, thou thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed, what shall come to pass hereafter? And he that revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. But as for me, the secret is not for revealed for me for any wisdom that I have more than any living, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king, and that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. Thou, O king, sawest and behold a great image, this great image whose brightness was excellent stood before thee, and the form of it was what, everybody? Terrible. The image head was what? Of fine gold. His breast and arms are what? Silver. His belly and thighs are what? Brass. His legs of iron. His feet part iron and part clay. Thou saw till a stone which smote the image at his feet were of iron and clay and break them in what? Pieces. To pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver. The brass, what now? Wait a minute now. Then was, I'm sorry. Yeah, then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken together, the, it says, like the what? And became like the shaft of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, and no place was found for them. And the stone smote the image and became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation. Now, what is the interpretation? Hmm? What is the interpretation? Anybody now? Let's take a look. Let's take a look at the interpretation. Who was the head of gold, ladies and gentlemen? The head of gold represented Babylon. Remember in Daniel, Daniel said, Thou art, watch now, thou art the what? Head of gold. Babylon would rule the world from 605, or sometimes some, some writers, scholars say 606 B.C. to what? 538. For 70 years, Babylon would rule, and God declared through the book of Jeremiah that Babylon would come to an end after 70 years. Are you with me? Babylon came to an end in Daniel chapter 5, 25 through 30. Remember that story? Turn with me there. In Daniel chapter 5, how did Babylon come to an end? Judgment was pronounced on Babylon, and probation closed. And God's going to bring judgment on spiritual Babylon and cause probation to close. In Daniel what? Daniel 5, 25, look what the Bible said. Daniel 5, 25, the Bible says. And this is the, and it says, and this is the writing that was written. A bloodless hand wrote on the wall, meanie, meanie, take your Franson. This is the interpretation, meanie, God has numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Take thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and to the Persians. And look at this. And then, now watch this now. This Daniel interpreted. Daniel had told this prophecy that Babylon would fall years before. And now Daniel stands there again and declares, Babylon is fallen. Your kingdom is taken from you and given to the Medes and to the Persians. Now God pronounced the fall of Babylon in ancient times, and God has given us a three angels message that says what, everybody? Babylon is what? Fallen. It's fallen because of what? Huh? Because he made what? She made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Are you with me? Now, Babylon fell in ancient times, and Babylon will fall again. I want to show you, but what was the religion of Babylon? Spiritualism. I want you to keep that in mind as we get down to the end of this. And now we find a kingdom came up. Medo-Persia was the silver kingdom. Breasted arms of what? Silver. Are you with me? <coughs> and Medo-Persia ruled from 538 to 331. 
Medo-Persia is recognized in Daniel 2 as the two arms of silver. Medo-Persia is recognized in Daniel 8 as the two horns and one horn higher than the other. Medo-Persia is recognized in Daniel 7 as the bear that rises up on the right side with one side higher than the other, with three ribs in his mouth. The Bible shows that the prophecies are consistent, ladies and gentlemen. When you begin to line each of the prophecies up, they do not tell the different story. They all begin to only expand, repeat, and enlarge, and enlarge, and enlarge until you get the whole big picture. Medo-Persia is recognized in Daniel 7 as the bear that rises up on the right side with one side higher than the other, with three ribs in his mouth. The Bible shows that the prophecies are consistent, ladies and gentlemen, when you begin to line each of the prophecies up. They do not tell the different story. They all begin to only expand, repeat, and enlarge, and enlarge, and enlarge until you get the whole big picture. Look what the Bible says here, the third kingdom that came on the scene. The Bible said the third kingdom. We found that the kingdom later on, if we study Daniel 8, 20 to 21, the third kingdom is the kingdom of Grecia. And you remember, the Grecia was represented in Daniel 8 as the he-goat with the great horn between his eyes. Remember that? And how he smote the ram with Kalia and smote him to the ground. We find that when he was strong, the great horn was broken. Talking about the Grecian kingdom that came on the scene from 331 to 168, who was the leader of that great horn was Alexander the Great. One day, Alexander the Great was out walking towards the Indian Ocean, sitting there looking at the world that he had conquered. Standing out on the ocean looking, his men, his valiant men of war, standing there with him with their arms folded. Suddenly these men of war and bloodshed stood around and saw Alexander standing there just trembling for a moment. One of them had the nerve and walked up and said, what's the matter, Alexander? What is it? Alexander staring in the ocean, about to break down in tears, said, there's nothing left for me to conquer. I've conquered everything. Then Alexander would go into a drunken debauch and die of a fever. Great men of history conquered nations and ruled the world. And many of them died from intemperance. Showing that God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sow, that shall he also reap. Alexander sowed a seed of drinking and violence and he finally died of violent fever died. And the fourth kingdom shall be what? The fourth kingdom we know is the Roman Empire. Am I right, everybody? All right. And that fourth kingdom of the Roman Empire was ruled, we found Alexander's kingdom was from 331 to 168, and the Roman Empire was from 168 to 476. And we know from what? When, what, what year was the kingdoms broken up? Huh? What year was the kingdoms the, bro the broken up of the ten kingdoms? What was that from? It was before 476. What was the year? Three what? That's your homework, okay? <laughs> you can write me a letter and send me it to me later. All right, let's go on. So now we find something else. But then we say he gets down to the feet of toes. Now I want to say something else. He said, as I am breaking in pieces and what? Bruise. You remember that fourth kingdom? Look at the fourth kingdom again in Daniel 2. I want you to look at this for a moment. Daniel 2, 
Okay, Daniel 2, and I think it's verse 35. Let me see. Let's see, I think it's right here. All right. Um, His legs of iron and feet of iron and clay. Then it goes on, it talks about the iron breaking in pieces and bruised. Anybody see that text for me right quick? Iron breaking in pieces and bruised. Here you go. No, huh? Verse 40. The fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron breaketh all these, it shall break in pieces and what? Bruise. What is that talking about? It's talking about the fourth kingdom, am I right? The fourth kingdom will do something. What will it do? Break in pieces and what? Excuse me. It would break in pieces and what? Bruise. Why does God mention the word bruise here? What is it about the fourth kingdom? Who is the fourth kingdom? Rome. And who ruled Rome at that time? Huh? Who ruled Rome at that time? In Luke 2, 1, turn with me there. Luke 2, 1. In Luke 2, 1, the Bible says this. In Luke 2, 1, it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus and uh, that all the world should be what, everybody? Tax. Who ruled Rome at that time? Caesar Augustus, and he was the ruler of the whole then-known what? World. But then the Bible says that this Roman Empire under the Caesars would break in pieces, and the word break in pieces says, and subdue all things, meaning conquer. But then it says, and as I am breaketh in what? Bruise. Why does the Bible mention bruise? What is it about the Roman Empire that would be so startling that the Bible mentions that Rome would bruise? If we look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the Bible says, in promising Adam about the seed, the promised seed that will come, the Bible says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. When did the heel of the seed of the woman, which is Jesus Christ, get bruised? On the cross. And when was the head of the serpent bruised? On Calvary, when all the unfallen worlds, when all the, the when the great plan of salvation or the great plan of redemption was not only put into effect, but when Jesus cried, "It is what finished," the head of Satan had been bruised, but Jesus' heel was bruised. And how was his heel bruised? Because he was what crucified. But Jesus had declared that it was finished. And at that time, the Satan received a wounding in the head where no longer his deceptive power and his work would deceive not only unfallen worlds and angels, but now the man's, that the, the hold that he had on mankind would finally and forever be broken. And that now the people of God could receive victory over sin. And know that the devil will one day be destroyed. His end is certain tonight, ladies and gentlemen, because the serpent's head was bruised and Rome was used by the serpent, by the devil. Pagan Rome was used by the devil to bruise Jesus, who was the promise seed of Genesis 3.15. Are you with me? Turn with me now. And let's take a look now. He had the feet of what? Iron and what? Daniel 2.40. Look with me there now. Feet of iron and clay. Got to move on now. Okay, let's take a look at this feet of iron and clay. Daniel 2.41 says what? Whereas thou sawest what? The feet 
and the toes part of what? Part of clay and part of iron. The kingdom shall be what? Divided. Divided. But iron shall be in it as it shall be in it the what? Strength of what? Iron. For as much as thou sawest iron mixed with what? Mari clay. Now let me ask you a question. There's a statement in the spirit of prophecy that everybody takes a look at all the time. And you know, they read your statement. And some of you got those Ellen White study Bibles right now. You got one in your hand. I know some of you got, somebody got one. While you read the Ellen White Study Bible, Mrs. White has a statement in there from, I think it's a book, Manuscript Releases, yes. And listen to what she says. We have come to the time when the sacred work of God is represented in the feet of the image. In the what? Feet of the image. Now, I'm going to read the Ellen White statement this time, but you're going to have to prove it from the Bible. Hey, man, you're going to put Mrs. White to the law and to the testimony. If she's not true, there's no light in it. Amen? Come on now, are you with me? All right, listen carefully now. This is, the, this is the preaching from the messenger of God. We have come to the time when the God's sacred work is represented by the feet of the image in which the iron is mixed with mari clay. But the iron is what? Mixed with what? Mari clay. I want to give you one hint. Think about the word mari clay versus potter's clay. Okay? Think about that, all right? I want you to keep that in mind, all right? Let's go on. God has a people, a chosen people, who discernment must be sanctified, who's not, who must not become unholy, laid upon the foundation of wood, hay, and stubble. Every soul who is loyal to the commandments of God will see the distinguishing features of our faith. Our faith is the seventh-day Sabbath. If government would honor the Sabbath, God, as God has commanded, it will stand in the strength of God in defense of the faith. The mingling of churchcraft. And statecraft is represented by the iron and clay. Now, that's the prophet. I read one in Manuscript Releases, volume 15, page 39. The mingling of churchcraft and statecraft is represented by the iron and clay. The disunion is weakening all the power of the churches. The investing the church with the power of the state will bring evil results. Men have almost passed the point of God's forbearance. They have invested their strength in politics and have united, the, united with the papacy. It says, but the time will come when God will punish those who have made void his law and their evil works will recoil upon themselves. Now, I want to ask you a question. She said that represented what? Come on now, talk to me. How you know? I want to know how you know now. How do you know? Let's take a look at the Bible. Let's take a look at the Bible. First of all, it says here now, what does the feet and toes represent? It says, it says now, what is iron in the Bible? We had the head of gold. We had a breast and arms of silver. We had a waist and belly and thigh of brass, legs of iron. Iron represented states or what? Governments. Am I right or wrong? Am I right or wrong? Come on now. We know that iron represents what? Governments. Or back in the archaic term, it was called a what? State. Are you with me? Now, the question I must ask now, but what is the clay? Oh, you say, well, Sister White said it's the church. But how you know Sister White is right? Huh? Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will. And I want to show you something right quick. Turn me in your Bibles to Jeremiah 18.6. What text did I say, everybody? Jeremiah, Jeremiah 18.6. Let's go. We got to go. In Jeremiah 18.6, the Bible says, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you with as his potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the potter is in the what? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hands. O house of what, everybody? 
Israel. What did the Bible call the house of Israel? What did God liken Israel to be? Clay. Wait a minute now. Clay. Oh, Pastor, this is one text that we can, you really think we can believe hang on that one text? Let's go to another one. Let's go to Isaiah 64, 8. Isaiah 64, 8. I'm putting Mrs. White to the law and to the testimony now. Are you with me? Holy Ghost, same Holy Ghost that gave the lesser light is the same Holy Ghost that routes the greater light. And the lesser light does not conflict with the greater light when it's studied correctly and rightly divided. Are you understanding me? To the law and to the testimony. Is Mrs. White speaking according to this word so far? Yes, she is. Let's take a look. In Isaiah 64, 8, the Bible says, But now, O Lord, thou art our father. We are the what, everybody? Clay. And thou art our potter, and we are the work of thy hands. Who is the potter? God. Does Daniel talk about a potter? Take a, take a look at this now. Come on, turn with me. Come on now. Go back to Daniel 2. Come on. I know you studied Daniel 2 like this before, haven't you? Yes, you have. I hope you did. If you haven't, may God help you to study some more. In, Jerem and Isaac, and in Daniel 2, 41, look at this now. It says here, look at Daniel 2, 41. Whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of what? Part of clay and part of what? I want to show you that when you talk about potter's clay, potter's clay is different from Mari clay. Potter's clay is clay that's been taken, refined, and put on a wheel and spin and molded into an image. And when it's put in heat, it hardens. But Mari clay, which we're going to talk about in a minute, but potter's clay is molded by a potter. Therefore, the potter forms a clay and forms an image that reflects what he wants it to have. Jesus says that ye are the light of the world. That's one image. You're supposed to shed light. But let's get to the point. God says he's going to form him what? An image or he's going to form him a what? A church without what? Spot or wrinkle. And I'm going to clean up my church real good because I'm going to bring in what you call a time of trouble. Because after I finish seeing that the character development is right where I want it, I'm going to put my church in some heat. Are you with me now? And I'm going to turn up the flame. But when I get finished, everybody who reflects my character will come out hardened and they will be, they will be trophies. They will be my jewels. Are you with me now? They'll be my church without spot or wrinkle. Are you understanding what I'm saying? I'm talking about potter's clay. And notice that it says here in Daniel 2.41, Whereas thou sawest the feet and toes part of potter's clay and part of iron. Showing that as long as the iron and the clay are separate, you have a separation of church and state. Let's break it down now. Because the sacred work of God cannot be sacred if the church is uniting with the state. Are you with me now? Let's take a look a little closer now. Are you with me? Let's go to the next point. But then the Bible says, now I want you to know, it says here, I want to show you what the Bible says in one area. Look at the same chapter now. The kingdom shall be divided. But now it's talking about mingling their seed with the seed of men. Remember that part? Iron and clay. What, what, what point was that? We're talking about mingling their seed with the seed of men. 23? 
43, look at verse 42. We're skipping around because you're going to see some things are not exactly in chronological order. It says here, and whereas thou sawest the iron, what now? Mixed with what? Miry clay. Now notice, you had iron and potter's clay, but now you got nothing but what? Miry clay. What is miry clay? First of all, I want to say something about clay right quick. Miry clay is muddy clay. It sticks, but you can't form nothing out of it. <coughs> What did I say? It sticks, but it can't form anything out of it. <coughs> Therefore, Mari clay. But now I want to tell you what this word Mari means. Are you with me now? Let's take a look at the word Mari for just a moment. And I want to also show you that thing right quick. I got to hurry. Come on. Oh, Jesus, help me. Okay. And Mari clay. The word Mari is from the Hebrew. And the word Mari means a filthy clay or a dirty clay. Now, what did I say? Filthy. And the word filthy, listen this carefully. The word filthy means something that tends to corrupt or to defile. Are you with me now? The word filthy means something that tends to corrupt or defile. The word filthy means moral corruption or defilement. Now, wait a minute. A minute ago, we saw iron and potter's clay. Potter's clay molded by the hand of God. Potter's clay is represented by those who keep the commandments of God and are willing to reflect the very image of Jesus Christ. But now we see a change has taken place. The kingdom was divided, but then we see iron mixed with Mari clay. Mari clay is clay that can't stick. Mari clay has no substance. Mari clay does not believe that they have to formulate a character. They believe that they can get their strength from the iron. Are you, are you with me now? And so, when we look at this, brothers and sisters, we begin to find out something. Mari clay means a morally unclean, defiled church. We're talking about the union of church and state. We're talking about the papacy and a post-state Protestantism. Now, you don't believe that, do you? You say, wait a minute, how are you going to get that? Let me say this. Mari clay also means dirty, and dirty means morally unclean. What did I say? Morally what? Unclean. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 16. Watch it now. Daniel Revelation should be studied how? Conjointly. Are you with me now? I told you earlier, what was the religion of Babylon in the beginning? Spiritualism. What is the religion of Babylon at the end of time? Spiritualism. And what was the union of Babylon? Immortality of the soul, heathen worship, and Sunday sacredness. Are you with me? Now, what is the religion of Babylon at the end of time? Immortality of the soul. The Protestant churches teach immortality of the soul, don't they? The loved ones dying and going to heaven, and they're also saying that we ought to make Sunday what? Holy. And they're saying we need to get the state to back it up. So we're now looking at the union of church and state, and the union of church and state is called Mary Clay. Are you with me now? Are you with me over there in the corner? I know you got your hand on your head, but now you'll be all right. Hang on, hang on, hang on. It's almost over. It's almost over. Look what the Bible says. The Bible says here, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, Jonathan. Sorry about that. Okay, let's go on. The Bible says something right into us in the body. I want to say, think, I want you to think about it. Mari clay is morally corrupt clay. Immoral clay. Are you with me now? It's called filthy. The word filthy means filed or offensive or detestable. Let me ask you a question. Do you know anything in the Bible that the Bible says? Look at Revelation 16, 13 first, 16, 13 and 14. Let's go there first. Are you there? You should be there. I gave you enough time to get there. 
The Bible says, and I saw what? Three unclean what, everybody? Spirits like what? Frogs come out the mouth of the what? Dragon out the mouth of the what? Beast in the mouth of the what? False prophets. Now we know frogs represent, frogs can also be symbolic of, uh, you know, a frog catches thing with his tongue, and some people say it's for speaking in tongues, and you can use that application if you like. But I would also tell you that the word frog is a word called, and it means uh, serpent, but the frog means something more than that. The, frog, the word frog means quacks. Quacks. Now you say quack like a duck? No, quacks. The word quack is an archaic term that means counterfeits. Imposters. Falsehoods. Charlatans. That's the better term for you. You guys know that word. All right. So now the three unclean spirits are what? They all got something coming. They come out the mouth of the what? The dragon. They're coming out the mouth of the what? The beast. And they're coming out the mouth of the false prophet. And all of them, all these four organizations, these three organizations that these spirits of devils will work through are all false. They're all charlatans. They're all counterfeit movements of the Holy Ghost. And they're being united together with tongues movement and and ecumenical movements. Are you with me? We are coming down to the time when we see the iron and clay coming together. Today in America, they're talking about the promise keepers and everybody's moving over to the other side and saying, there's a grand movement if the Holy Ghost is being poured out and our point of the spirits. Today, the working miracle, working power of devils are walking around. And ladies and gentlemen, they are not fake miracles either. Many of them are genuine because the spirits of devils, the Bible says, will work miracles. And no seven-day Adventist today ought to be scoffing at it, but you ought to know what time it is. The devils are working miracles. How should God's people be? Should we be arguing with each other? Should we be fighting when a devil and his angels are working miracles? And deceiving the world. No. Where should God people stand? We should be on a solid rock today. We should be standing for the truth that we believe in. We should be holding to the old landmarks. And be determined that no man will steal my crown. For henceforth for me is laid up a crown of righteousness. Whom the Lord the righteous judge shall give me in that day. But not to me only. But to all them that love his appearing. That are faithful even unto death. We are in a time, ladies and gentlemen, when all these things are taking place. Look what the Bible says in Revelation 18, 2. The Bible said it like this. Look what it said now. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't finish Revelation 16. Let me finish that for you right quick. It says here, Revelation 16, 14, the Bible said, For they are the spirits of devils, what, everybody? Working what? Come on now. Spirits of what? Devils. What are devils? Do devils believe in the commandments of God? Therefore, devils are fallen. Devils are immoral. Devils are filthy. Devils are dirty. Devils are mare clay. They don't believe that the people ought to be formed in the image of God. They teach that the commandments of God are done away with. Therefore, the people cannot form the character. Therefore, they stick to iron. Because they grieve away the spirit of God. Look what the Bible says. Go on now. It says here, the spirits of devils working miracles to go forth unto the what? Where would these devils go? Look what it says now. Unto the what? Kings of the, who are the kings of the earth? The political powers of earth. And this and, and, and the devils are coming out of the beast, which is religion, the dragon, which is spiritualism, and the false prophet, which is apostate Protestantism that comes out of USA. So guess what? This is religion. Go, the spirit of devils working through religion now goes to the state, the kings of the earth. 
and to do what? To gather them to battle to the great day of God Almighty. And that battle is the battle of what? Armageddon. The gathering is taking place as I speak. Gathering for the battle of Armageddon. Daniel 2 is telling you that we're on the verge of watching the final scenes of earth's history. And while we're sitting here looking at this chapter saying, oh, it don't mean that much. It can't. And then it says the nations are partly subdued. But turn back to Revelation 18, 2 now. The Bible said, Babylon the great has fallen and become the habitation of devils and the whole of every what? Here's this word, foul spirit and the cage of every what? Unclean and hateful bird. Did you see it, ladies and gentlemen? Foul spirit, unclean and hateful bird, Mari clay. What has brought church and state together? The spirits of devils working miracles. Are you with me? Oh, we almost finished. Hold on now. Coming down to the stretch now. Gotta hurry. Final stretch is important. In Daniel 2.42, the Bible said they're partly strong and partly broken. Word partly refers to fragile. In Daniel 2.41, I think it was, we read... In Daniel 2.41, we talked about mingling their seed. I want to say to you that most Adventist, traditional Seventh-day Adventist prophecies teach that when they get down to the iron and clay, they don't talk about the union of church and state. Then we traditionally just teach, oh, beloved, we found the great leaders of the world. Try to rule. We use this part about mingling their seed with World War II. And the nations of Europe, and especially the northern aspect of Europe, and how these people intermarried, and that's true. In fact, you would find, if you studied, your, studied here, and find here it says Europe at war. It says here, William, Emperor William of Germany in making war with Great Britain and Russia is likewise at war with his cousins, King George V of Great Britain and the Tsar Nicholas II of Russia are the first cousins through their mother, who are the daughters of King Christian of Denmark, everyone who has seen their family resemblance William II of Germany is the first cousin of George V as his mother, Victoria, was the sister of George's father, Edward VII of Great Britain. Moreover, Nicholas married another first cousin of both George and William and Cousin, how do you pronounce her name? Casarina, something like that. And mother being another sister of King Edward VII. And it goes on. But the Bible said they shall mingle their seed. The word seed in, in Daniel 2 refers to offspring. And so we find that the prophecy of Daniel met fulfillment in that. And let me say this. You say, well, the union of church and state was not there yet. You better go back. Because you find that the union of church and state does not, is not talking about just at the end of time. The union of church, church and state began in 538. And was for 1,260 years, the papacy ruled with an iron hand. And they had what they called, later on as the Protestant Reformation came in, we had certain places that were called sacral societies. And those societies were made up where the Catholic Church was the only state religion. And then they had composite societies where in certain providence you could go in, they were fully Protestant and they allowed the people to worship freely. The union of church and state from 538 to 1798 was then broken up at the papal room by General Berthier by the Napoleonic Wars. And now the Bible declares in Revelation 13 that all the world will run after the beast. And when they do, the union of church and state will come back. And the lamb-like beast of Revelation, 4, Revelation 13, the lamb-like beast who's represents America, 
who understood the principles of true Protestantism, they will join up with the first beast, which is before it, and say, let us make an image to the beast. And the image is a union of church and state. And it's the apostate Protestantism who now are influenced by the spirits of devils, who is representing Daniel 2 as Mari Clay, and they join together, and they join on points of doctrine they have in common. Is the spirit of prophecy telling you the truth? Now, what time is it, brothers and sisters? It's time for the rock to come. Oh, my, I tell you, I tell you, if there was one thing that I, I, I would tell you right now, in Matthew 12, I believe, turn with me to Matthew 12. I want to show you something. Matthew 12, I know it's a little late, but hold on, hold on. I'm sorry to keep you so long. This is the last sermon anyway. If you fall out the window, there's no window. If you fall out the chair, don't worry. We'll pick you back up. Look what the Bible says. Matthew 12, come on now. I believe it's Matthew 12. I warned about, about the thing about rendering to Caesar the things that are Caesar. Well, for time's sake, I, you can take a look at it later if you, get, if you find it. But I'm going to tell you like it is. But Jesus had rendered the things that Caesar, the things that Caesar, but unto God, the things of God. Christ clearly taught the separation of church and state. That's how I can tell you that the potter's clay is not, the clay, is not a church that mixes with iron. And those who prepare the mix with the iron in God's house are preparing for the mark of the beast. You think you can't solve your problems but by going to the state for your help. An unjust judge. The Bible said, dare you having a matter against any? Take it to an unjust judge. Are not ye able to judge in these small matters? Huh? The word of God never changed his mind. And we say, well, Lord, they did me wrong. They did me wrong. Jesus suffered abuse. And selected message of Ellen White says it's better to suffer the abuse than to sue at the church. Even though this church is the way it is, we had better suffer the abuse than to bring a reproach on God's cause. We are living in some very serious times. And so, we see that the iron and the clay is coming. And let me ask you a question. When the iron and clay is come, what will take place? Come on, Daniel 2.43 now. Come on now. Are you with me? Are you still there? Are you woke? Are you asleep yet? If you are, please wake up for just a few more minutes. Have a few more, have mercy on me. Indulge me just a little while longer. Pre-adventure, if I keep you any longer, you can go. But just hold on a little longer. The Bible says, and in the days of these kings, verse 44, the kings are what? Iron and clay of the world. This is a new world order, ladies and gentlemen. A superpowered church coming. One world religion. One world educational system. We are now living in the time of the union, of the very union that the Bible prophesied of. And Jesus Christ, let me say something to you. Jesus Christ cannot come until the union of church and state is set up. Now you're saying, oh, wait a minute. Now get this. Why have we not been preaching it all these years? What has been the urgency of Seventh-day Adventists? Not only to warn the people that Jesus is coming, we know he's coming. But the urgency for Seventh-day Adventists was to enter into the heavenly sanctuary while the work of investigative judgment is going on in our behalf. That is our urgency. That is where our focus ought to be, that we can be prepared for the union of church and state when the image of the beast is formed and the mark is instituted. 
that our names might be retained in the book of life, that we might not receive the wrath of God when the plagues fall, that we've been found clean before the Lord, covered by the blood and wrapped up in his righteousness. This is what we're looking at. Look what the Bible says now. In the days of these kings, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be what everybody destroyed, a kingdom that shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall what? Stand for what? When did God set up his kingdom? I believe it was a man preaching, repent for the kingdom of God was what? At hand, and we're talking about John the Baptist, and time will not permit me to go into all the different texts that deal with it, but I just want to give you some idea that I want to show you one thing, that when the kingdom of God came, come, when the kingdom of God was set up, John the Baptist was preaching. And in the days of the Bible said, in the days of these kings, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. And I want you to notice, is in the days of these kings, it's talking about the last days. What will be the last days? God will set up his kingdom. When will God's kingdom, when will God be finally making up the number of his kingdom? What year? 1844. And what would happen during after 1844? God enters into judgment because he now he begins to what? Make up his what? Kingdom. You plan to be in the kingdom? If you plan to be in the kingdom, that's why Jesus says, seek first. The kingdom of God and all his what? And what is righteousness? All that commandments are right. Seek first the kingdom of God and all his commandments. And enter into the investigative judgment while you have a high priest there that completes your case. That when he shall finish his work and the number of his kingdom is made up in the days of these kings who are plotting against the righteousness of God's people, you might have a shelter in the coming storm. Come, my children, he says, into my chambers that I might hide thee. Covered with the hedge of his protection and holy angels. Sealed with the seal of the living God of Revelation chapter 7. Receiving at the first, second, and third angel's messages. This is the setting up of the kingdom. When the third angel's messages, first, second, and third angel's messages will be preached. In the days of these kings, when the union of church and state will be formed. When the, when the lamb-like beast will give his power to the first beast before it. When these beasts will come together. When these nations are angry. I'm going to be preaching a message with worldwide intent. And Matthew 24, 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached throughout the world as a witness unto all nations. And then, and then, and then shall the end come. What gospel? Not the gospel of Jimmy Swagger. Not the gospel of these so-called first-day preachers. Not the gospel of the Pentecostals. But the gospel of the Seventh-day Adventist Church would keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. When this gospel is preached, then the end shall come. We have the nuclear warhead. Not Russia. Not America. Seventh-day Adventist Church has the nuclear warhead. Why do you think the devil working on our working on our people so hard? Why do you think he's trying to destroy love and unity among us? 
because we have the nuclear warhead that will bring his world to an end and bring down his kingdom. Mrs. White said in the book, Great Controversy, Final Warning, she said the sins of Babylon will be laid open. But who's going to lay the sins of Babylon open? Not all the evangelical churches that are compromising, not the Adventist churches who are teaching that they can stay in sin, but those who teach victory over sin and those who have a close relationship and are and is married, like Peter said, to Jesus Christ. They will lay the sins of Babylon open and they will resist sin to the shedding of blood. I'd rather die than sin. It's going to be their motto. Give me liberty in Jesus or give me death. That's what it's going to get down to. We're coming down to that time now. Where are you at now? Where do you stand now? Where are you teetering? World, church, world, church. Oh, I'm holy. they not. I'm holy. Where do you stand right now? Huh? Is your heart humble before God or are you working on pride? Are you working on arrogance? Nobody can tell me anything. I know everything. I know this church has messed up. I got news for you. The church may be messed up on the church militant, but the church is going to be right in the church triumphant, and I plan to be there. How about you? telling you I'm going to be there. I'm telling you, boy, oh, Lord. Daniel said he saw the stone. Psalms 89, 26, turn with me there. What is this stone? Psalms 89, 26. Stone can also be called a rock, ladies and gentlemen. Psalms 89, 26, the Bible says. The Bible says here, he shall cry unto me, Thou art my Father, my God, thou and what? The rock of what? My salvation. Jesus said to the people in his day in Matthew 22, 43, he said, he said like this, he said, Did you never read in Scripture? The stone that the builders rejected, the same has become the what? Head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing in his marvelous in his eyes. Jesus was the stone, the foundation of the Jewish economy. Jesus is the stone, the foundation to the everlasting gospel. Christ, our righteousness. The stone is a kingdom of righteousness. Do you understand that? Because the Bible makes it very clear. Let me break it on down some more for you right quick. The stone represented something else. The Bible says here um, in Psalms 92.15. Turn with me there. Psalms 92.15. The Bible says. Hold on, brothers and sisters. We're going to end. Psalms 92.15. It says, to show the Lord is upright. It says, to show that the Lord is upright. He is my what, everybody? My rock. Now watch this now. And there is no unrighteousness in him. First of all, he shows again that God is his what? Rock. But let's turn to me to 1 Corinthians 10.4. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 10.4. What text do I say, everybody? 10, 1 Corinthians 10.4. Now I want to show you again what, the stone, what a, a stone can also be a rock. So let me show you something. 1 Corinthians 10.4. The Bible shows right here. Come on now. 1 Corinthians 10, 4, the Bible said, And did all drink of that same, what everybody? Spiritual rock. For they drink of that, they drink of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was who, everybody? Christ. Now, Matthew 24, 20, uh, 20, um, 2, 43, I think it was, we read a minute ago, where what? That Jesus said he was the stone that the builders, what? Rejected. Christ likened himself to be the what? Stone. Didn't we just read here that what? In 1 Corinthians 10, 4, what? That he was that rock that followed them, showing that a stone and a rock still both represent who? Christ. Christ and his what? His kingdom. Remember when we prayed in Matthew 16? The Lord's prayer in Matthew 16. Remember that? Thy what? Thy kingdom what? Come. In Matthew 6.33, we said, What? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And Matthew, and in Matthew 25.34, turn with me there. 
Matthew 25, 34. The Bible says this. Matthew 25, 34. This says, And verily, verily, I say to you, this generation, I'm sorry. No, it's not. Oh, Matthew 25, 34. I'm looking at the wrong one. It says, Then shall the king say unto them on the right hand, Come ye blessed of my father. Inherit what, everybody? The kingdom that's been prepared for you from the what? Foundation of the world. So the stone represents Christ. It represents a rock represents Christ, and this stone represents Christ and his kingdom. Now, when Jesus comes, the kingdom has been made up on earth. How? Through the preaching of the everlasting gospel. And when this gospel is preached throughout the world's witness, then shall the end come. And the end is marked by a rock-crushing stone that smite the image at the feet of iron and clay. Where is it going to smite? In the time of the issues of church and state. What do we call that time of the issues of church and state? When it shall finally come upon us, we call it the time of what, everybody? Trouble. And everybody shall be delivered, Daniel 12, 1, whose names are found what? Written in the book. Well, where did my name get in the book? In the time of what? The investigative what? Judgment. And when the judgment was finished, Daniel 7 20, I think Daniel 7 tells us what? Dominion and a kingdom was what? Given unto him. That all nations and languages might what? Serve him. And his kingdom is an everlasting dominion and the kingdom. And it shall stand for what? Forever. And so, ladies and gentlemen, the very last text I can share with you now is this. The Bible shows that the kingdom, this, the stone that smite the empty feet of iron and clay is talking about Christ and his kingdom. And it's symbolic of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Matthew 24, 30 says, Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The Bible tells us also that when that kingdom shall strike, that kingdom shall hit at the iron feet of iron and clay. You remember when the iron and clay, the brass and silver and gold was broken together in what? Pieces. Remember that? Iron clay, the, the stone hit the image of iron, the feet of iron and clay. Daniel 2, 34. Remember that? And the iron and clay was broken in what? Pieces. Then the next verse says, Then was the iron and clay, the brass, the silver, and gold broken together in pieces and became like the shaft of the summer threshing floor. What was it? But the second coming of Christ, the stone hit the image of iron and clay. That's the first coming. The second coming, rather. Then the Bible said the next verse is giving you the hint, giving you the interpretation that the next event that took place was after the thousand years was up because there's nobody alive. The righteous are taken to heaven. The wicked have been slain by the brightness of his coming. Now there's nobody else alive that the third coming, we find the wicked goes up to attack the city. Then the Bible says something. The Bible says in Daniel 2, 34, I mean 35, the iron, the clay, the brass, it was broken together, right? In Revelation chapter 20, verse 5, the Bible says he gathered together the nations that were in Gog. I believe it's 20 verse 5. Gog and what, everybody? And Magog. You with me? Come on, hold on. This was a Bible study, but I want you to get it. It says here, Revelation 20 verse 5, I think it was. Wait a minute. No, no, verse, verse, what you say? Verse 8, verse 8. And it shall go, and he shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to what? Gather what? What is he going to gather together? Then who is he gathering together? The nations. Who were the nations that he gathered together? Babylon, Medo-Persia, Rome. This is what? Even resurrection. Second resurrection. All the wicked, all the ungodly, all the enemies of God, all the nations of earth are gathered together to be 
broken in pieces together. And the Bible said they become like the shaft of the summer threshing floor. Then you tell me what shaft represents. The Bible says here, and for time's sake, in Psalms 1-4, the Bible said the ungodly are not so, but are like the shaft which the wind drives away. The Bible calls the shaft the ungodly, and the shaft of the ungodly is that they were taken away like the summer, what? Threshing floors. The summer threshing floors, ladies and gentlemen, referred to Jeremiah 23, 28. It said the prophet that prophesies lies, he is the shaft. In Matthew 3, 12, the Bible says, whose fan is in his hand and will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into his garners, but shall burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. Who are the shaft? The ungodly. And they said they're taken away like the what? Summer threshing floors. And it says, what is the summer threshing floors? Jeremiah says, and for time's sake, it says, Jeremiah says, the harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we are not what? Saved. And so those who are not saved are carried away like the wind of the summer threshing floors. And, the, and also, when you talk about summer, you notice it says, Harvest. Remember in Revelation 14, 14, when the angel said, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the harvest of earth is ripe. The harvest referred to character development. Everybody that has the character of Jesus Christ fully developing them, page 69 of Christ's Object Lessons, will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. But everybody who doesn't will be struck down by the brightness of his coming, and they shall wake up in the second resurrection, and they shall be judged, and they shall be burned up with fire. And the righteous shall walk upon the ashes of the wicked. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain. A mountain refers to God's government, ladies and gentlemen. It refers to God's everlasting kingdom. And there became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And the kingdom and the kingdom and the saints of the most high possessed the kingdom forever and ever and ever and ever. World without end. This is the dream. This is the interpretation. And the dream and the interpretation of thereof are sure. A rock-crushing image. May God help us tonight to be ready for Jesus Christ's second coming. Amen. I want to be ready. How about you? You read about that thing, about that, you'll find it. The new heaven and new earth and everything in there is sitting right there in Daniel chapter 2. May God help us tonight. I apologize for the lateness of the hour. I hope that you had time to think about this and go back and study on your own. But the Bible says in Acts 17, 11, these, talking about the Bereans, were more nobler than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with already in mind and searched the scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. May God bless you. I hope that you don't say, well, we would bring him back, but because of that last sermon. <laughs> Praise God, it won't be that long anymore. This time, let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, surely Jesus is coming. And Lord, Surely we are living in the days when we need to study like never before. When we need to lay aside preconceived ideas and go back and search the scriptures as one who searches for a treasure. Lord, bless everyone here in the fellowship we've had. Help them see, Lord, your love and your grace. Help them realize that love destroys strife and hatred Love will lay down its life even for those that know not what they do. But Lord, help us understand that love is only found in the face and life of Jesus Christ. Help us to be determined to reflect his character. Help us to be determined to share his glory. And Lord, when the great day will come, and 
Isaiah 25, 9, we will say, Lo, this is our God. He will save us. This is the Lord. And we should be glad and rejoice in his salvation. May none of us in this room, regardless of age, color, or creed, or caste, be left out. May we all be prepared to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and meet our loved ones. For you said that dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. May this be our blessed hope still. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.